we're going to talk again this morning. We're going to talk about uh, depression. Some of us may know a little bit about it in our lives, right? We've heard other people had it. You heard somebody else has depression, right? But you're here to help them, so we'll help you to help them. Let me start by saying this. I was very aware as I was thinking about this meeting this morning uh, of some of the really tough places some of you in this room are in. And um, some of the uh, really rough places some of you in this room have walked and are even some today are walking. So I want you to know I'm thinking of you while I'm doing this material. This isn't about just doing some head knowledge to me. I'm not really here just to give us some more information in our heads. Um, you know, I'm becoming more and more aware of the, the big way that we change from head to here is only through relationships. You can't do it by yourself. Uh, it, it's just not the way God has made us. So it's really important to me that this be a very, very safe place. Very safe place. Um, some of the things I may even touch while we're talking, if it gets a little uncomfortable for any of you, you are absolutely free to just get up and say, you know what, I'm just... I'm, I'm going to move out. Right. Feel free to get up and leave if the, if the material is a little tough for you to kind of even talk about or hear. You're free. Um, some people may, be, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what could evoke, what could be invo evoked. You know, we're talking about losses and, you know. Um, so I just want, I just want you to be aware of that, that uh, I'm really, really, I really want to be sensitive to uh, some of you that are really in tough places right now. We all know, you know, some more than others and some more than others right now. So know that. You know, I, I learned a very, very long time ago that when I went through, started to go through my own pain in my own life, you know, um, there's two groups of people and it certainly isn't the group that has problems and the group that doesn't. It's the group that's going to face their stuff and the group that isn't going to face this stuff. And truthfully, my experience is most people don't face their stuff. Most people, I mean, it's because, you know, you get pain on one side or the other. You either go into the pain to work with it, and it's painful, but you come out somewhere. Or uh, you don't, but you're still going to get pain. Only you're going to get bad pain and not good pain, right? We talked about bad pain and good pain. Good pain is it hurts. This is I really don't like this and this is painful, but I'm going to come through this. Uh, or bad pain is just you know what bad pain bad pain just stays. You know depression is like that. We're going to talk about God's answer to depression this morning. Uh, but unless you get what's broken fixed, depression doesn't go away just with time. You know and there's degrees of depression. Um, but God, you know, God certainly has his, has his answers. But we, uh, you know, as Christians here today, we've got to, um, you know, we, we, we're combating 
some of the theology in the church, the church generally. You know, that's past, that's over, move on, you're a new creation, you know, you know. And we all know that this is true. You know, Jesus was a man who knew who knew grief. He was a man of grief, Isaiah 53 says. Jesus suffered and had sorrow in his life. We're going to talk about that. It's a very it's a very shallow gospel that doesn't understand that there's a message for even people like us. Because when it says that Jesus came to save that which was lost, that word lost doesn't mean like he couldn't find us. That word lost is the word damaged. So he's come to find that which is damaged, which means we're all in the same boat. We're all damaged. That's what Genesis 3 tells us very, very clearly. And, and we're not only damaged, but we are live a life with other damaged people. And in the midst of it, God does his amazing, wonderful work of freeing us as we cooperate with him. And as we find people, um, as we find people, you know, Paul says, uh, it's in, I believe, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, uh, Paul says, I was depressed. I'm going to find the verse. And then God sent me Titus. He didn't say, I prayed, and then I just, everything was great. He said, I was depressed. And, and God sent me Titus. And that's, I don't know who the Titus is in your life, but I'd like this to be a Titus group. That, um, remember this strict confidentiality in this group. I mean, what you hear and hear from your brothers and sisters stays right here. It's not a topic of conversation with anyone. Um, not, not that I expect anybody to think like that, but I, I just have to say it. Uh, let's, you know, this is not for discussion with other people. Um, what goes on in here? what you hear uh, from mothers. Um, so I'm bringing just a little bit of that somber note this morning to say I want, I just want to underline again, this is a safe place. Um, you're free here. You may, things may be evoked. That's okay. You're among, uh, you're among people who love you. Um, and if anything gets uncomfortable, nobody's going to ask any questions if you feel like, you know, it's difficult for you. But having said all that, I'm just so glad you're here, and I have such a sense that God's timing is for what we're doing right now. You're the only person we would ever dare to begin to say, reveal the real me. You have the scars of the covenant on your hands and on your feet and on your side to remind us that you paid the price to redeem us from every hurt and pain, every dart from hell, every, everything Satan has thrown at us, every sin we've ever committed and has ever been committed against us. It is you we come to this morning and to the members of your body because you live in us. And we open ourselves to you, Lord, this morning. The only one we would open ourselves to. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here to not only give us information, revelation, but to bring healing to the places that are broken in us. 
and we just want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, I'm just so amazed how truth just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, I'm just so aware these days that this is what the priesthood means. This is really what the priesthood is. It's ministering Christ to one another. The power of the priesthood is beyond. We're called a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are, the Bible says that we are stewards of the grace of God. And Henry and John repeat that verse over and over again. We are stewards of the grace of God. Something miraculous happens by the Spirit of God in the body of Christ. Something miraculous, supernatural, something beyond uh, human understanding, the power that is released by ordinary people like you and me when we let Christ flow through us to each other. Something beyond our... And the devil will do anything to stop the church. He'll do anything to keep us from knowing that. He'll do anything to separate us from one another. He'll do anything to keep us in religion. He'll do anything to keep it all up here. He'll do anything to keep us out of really relationships where we're really being known, knowing and being known by one another. He'll do anything to stop it because of the amazing power of the priesthood that's among us as we come together as the body of Christ. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to go see a little clip of John Townsend. We see a lot of Henry. I don't think you've seen John too much, but I want you to hear. Uh, before I do, you know, I didn't ask you last week, how many of you were here when we, when we did that Sunday victim rescue a controller? How many of you were here? Any, I just love, how about a little feedback on that? Did anybody identify with it? <laughs> did anybody not identify with it? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So remember something. Somebody said to me, you know, it's kind of depressing. Like, you know, I thought I was loving people and helping people. And you know, I find out I'm such a rescuer. Listen, don't go there because it doesn't mean all of every. I mean, that was exactly that I was in when I read the book. I was like, okay, so nothing I've ever done was ever of God. It's all been my flesh. Uh, but that's not true. That's not true. Because we're a mixture, and it's the Spirit of God, and, and He's working with this whole thing in us, right? So, and, and a lot of people that are rescuers often have the helping profession. I mean, like therapists, they're like known to be codependent people who are working at their own stuff. Pastors are also very well known for this. Helping, you know, nurses, and it's, it's, it's a common thing that people with those kind of gifts, you know, it's when the gift goes over the boundary, when the gift is, is sometimes polluted uh, by the flesh. So don't get discouraged and think, you know, that's it. I've never done anything that was the spirit of God. That, that, that's not the point of it at all. It just means, I know for me, um, the stance of the rescuer, you know, being who I was growing up and the, you know, the decisions I made and, you know, for me it was just very much, um, you know, do the right thing, be the good person type of thing, you know. And, uh, you know, we learned, you know, us rescuers, we learned, we skip over the receive and go right to the gift, you know. And um, that's why we, the, the, the common cry of a rescuer in a, in a counselor's office is, I am so burned out and I can't stand people. And if I, if I could just live without people, I would be really happy. That's the cry of a rescuer. You're burned out because you're not getting the resources you need. You're, you know, you're just, you, you know, you're not receiving, you're giving, you know. 
and uh, and that's why there's resentment and great anger and not anger, rage, rage. Um, so if any of you, you know, uh, relate to that rescue thing, which I do immensely, I find that it's kind of my stance. And in this sense, I'm much. I, I can. How do I put it? I'm not where I was years ago, and I I recognize it more. But if I am, um, but I ever, you know, I can catch myself now at least and think, wait a minute, I'm feeling a little burned out. You know, I'm feeling getting a feeling like I'm a little bit finding resent a little myself a little more resentful and irritable. Whoa. I gotta stop and look and see. You know, I, I think I mentioned to you that uh, the author of the book, uh, Schmidt Ken Schmidt, who wrote that, he said that his morning devotions was taking the list of emotions, which I handed out early in this course. If you want one, we can get it to you. A whole list of like we think, oh, I, I know what emotions are. I can know when I'm happy. I know when I'm sad. I know when I'm angry, right? And he gave us a list like this, right? Like what? I don't even know. I didn't even know that wasn't him. I didn't even know I could feel that, right? And he said that one of his devotion is to take the list in the morning and take a look at where he is on the list and say, and he could see, wow, I'm hitting that again, huh? I'm back into that rescuing thing because of, you know he could see all the emotions it's evoking in him. So. Um, Remember, no, none of those faces are any different, none is any better or worse than the others. We're all doing the same thing, just differently trying to manage life, keep from judge, judgment, the judgment of others, and feel loved and accepted. You can't just say, oh, it's always this. But you'll find that you have a stance or a tendency. I mean, I can actually remember making a decision as a kid uh, well, I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't have this, but I, I like people, and people seem to like me. It, I can actually remember this. So somewhere I made a commitment that that's how I was going to negotiate life. I would be people, I, I would give myself to people, and I guess and underneath it I was saying, and that would get me what I want. People will like me, and I'll get, you know what I'm saying? So somewhere along the line, whatever your stance is, you may have still had the gifts, and you may be, and it doesn't mean you are not operating from the Holy Spirit from time to time. But when, listen, guys, your sin nature, the old man, he's not, he doesn't disappear in this life, ever. What happens is the Holy Spirit subdues it. But you find you get away from God enough. You stop being in, among the saints. You stop having any kind of contact with God. You stop having contact with the body of Christ, and you're gonna, you find that that sin nature starts to become empowered. Did you know that? That's really important to know. The Holy Spirit subdues your sin nature. Doesn't, you're not, it's not re removed in the sense that, you know, there was a, you know, this theology that the church is always swimming through over the centuries and some people say well you know you're perfect in Christ and that means you know some people actually move into this heresy of that we don't sin that once we're Christians you don't even sin anymore like hello where planet do you live on right so I, did that. I didn't never had I never fought with that theology that's never been a problem for me um, but um, we've got to understand wherever you see the flesh or the old man remember that's the me I built that rescuer that's my old man that I built and the key is she separated from God 
no wonder you're so screwed up and so tense and so because you don't have any resources your resources are you and so that false self that we build is is who I build without God I build it from the outside in which was the pharisaical mask right Jesus said to the Pharisees on the outside you look you know you look like whitewashed sepulchers but inside you're you, you're filled of dead man's bones so so remember your old man that was crucified with Christ um, was taken to that cross um, and we have the power in this life to take that stand and to stand in that in that victory of Jesus so that we can live in the reality of that but you start moving away from the from that reality you start moving away from your abiding in Christ, abide in me and I'll abide in you you start moving away from your abiding and you don't lose your salvation but you well how many of you know from your experience that give you some time when you're you know you're like just haven't been around the church. You have the people of God. You just haven't been thinking about God. You're not. You're hanging, hanging around with some worldly people, and all of a sudden you start finding yourself. It, it's just you, you feel disconnected from God, right? I mean, just me. You know. Sorry. You feel lost. You feel lost. You know. You know that that abiding love. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. And and it and you realize that something. That's why when we you know when pastors say all the time, be be come to come to be when the, when the church gets together, come out, make that commitment on Sunday. Uh, the hardest thing these days is to get to younger Christians and get them to understand how important it is to clear the ground in your life for these places. And you know because it isn't just about making meetings or because we want to count the numbers of seats that are filled. It's because something literally happens in the spirit to you and I when we're together with the body of Christ. Uh, you know, Lazarus, Jesus said to the crowd around him, you take his, his, you unwrap him. There's a, there's a washing of the spirit, there's a washing of feet in the spirit that goes on when the church comes together that we have no idea. Have you ever walked into a meeting and you just kind of like hardly can get in, you just, whatever you're going through, and somehow by the time you leave, you're like, boy, it was hard to get here, but I'm glad I got here. Yes. You know, yes. that happens probably more than the opposite. Some days you can walk in and say, I'm feeling pretty good. Well, I, pretty, I feel pretty bad now. <laughs> I mean, you can have that too. But I hope that that's rare. I hope that that's rare. But there's something about, or, or you get together, you know, you're just kind of struggling a little bit and you just meet a sister or a brother in the supermarket and you just exchange a few words and you walk away and say, oh, somehow or other you just feel lifted. I mean, this is the life of Christ. He didn't come to tell us to do better came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly so um, so remember that false self but it is good self-knowledge is really important and if you see yourself in those and you you see yourself as the controller I mean you know we're not made to control other people we're made to control only ourselves and when we step over other people's boundaries and become the controller you know um, we have to recognize that about ourselves or, you know, if we let other people step over our boundaries and we lose our freedom, which we're going to mention quickly this morning, then we've got to know that about ourselves because we, the lights go on. I mean, listen, he is out for us to have understanding, guys. He wants us to understand him. He wants us to understand reality. He wants us to understand how, 
how the universe works, how his laws, the created order and how it how it works and where we come in under his authority and how we deal with how we operate with him and and, and his uh, laws and how we relate to one another. So don't ever think so it is good for you. I hope that you had some insight into yourself through those three faces uh, because it's a way when the Bible says that we're dead to the old man, that's what your old man, that, that may be one of those faces, is often how your old man learned to operate before Christ came in your life and how you learned to do life. So um, I hope you keep the material around and that you refer to it on occasion and that you talk with each other about it because um, I, I think it's important. So um, today we're going to hit depression again. I can't seem to get, I don't think the Lord want, wants us to leave yet because depression is such a, uh, I mean, I don't know that um, in all my years of somebody who suffered from depression and talking to people that have depression, I've ever seen or heard the word more than the culture we're living in today. Everybody's depressed. You pick up the newspaper and uh, Joe and I were walking in the mall and I just walked past um, what was her name? She just took her life. Kate Spade. And I'm looking at this store and I'm thinking, unbelievable. Just unbelievable. That we look at these people like they've got it all. And yet the depression and the powers that they, they don't even understand the spiritual warfare they're in. You know? So so if you're battling depression today or it's a problem for you in, your, in your life, you're in the right place because God's here to set us free from these things. This morning, I've got a real short seven-minute clip. It's John Townsend, and he's talking about the causes of depression, and Mary's going to start it for us. And um, one of the things he's going to do toward the end, he's going to talk about certain types of depression, you know, causes of them. Then he's going to go into the, you may not realize it, but he's going to go into the four stages of changes that heal. He's going to go on to say how depression comes from not connecting, not having good boundaries, and not understanding, um, not living in reality, um, So you're gonna hear him say that. Just remember, all of those topics we're gonna to talk a lot more about in the future, but because every stage in Changes That Heal, the symptoms are similar. And, sim and, this, and depression, remember, you're gonna hear him say as well, that depression, our goal isn't, we don't deal with depression, we deal with us who are depressed, as uh, counselor isn't looking to deal with depression, he's looking to deal with you and what the root of your depression is, right? So, um, something else I was going to say, but I'm okay. We, we want to get to the roots of depression and find out what the depression is coming from, and that's, and God wants to give us understanding and clarity and freedom. Okay, let's listen to John. Hi, John. One of them is um, overwhelming loss. loss. If somebody has a relationship where if somebody meant something to them, anything from a primary caregiver, like a mom or dad leaves or pulls away or is not available emotionally, that can cause child depression, which goes into by the time you're 33, but doesn't get dealt with, it becomes adult depression. And depression can last that long. Because depression can last forever if you don't deal with it. It's like frozenness stays frozen. So loss doesn't. Uh, sometimes um, uh, uh, overwhelming circumstances can do it, you know, like if somebody goes through a financial upset or 
they go through a, a lot of job stresses or relationship stresses, marriage, dating, kind of problems that can cause depression. Um, sometimes there are uh, medical and biological problems. You know, there, there, is a bio, a, a, there is a biogenetic component to depression that researchers are finding through double-blind studies with you know, infants and this sort of thing. Um, and also, you could have a med take the wrong medication that can cause depression, and also substance abuse can cause depression. So, like, be aware that it could be more than one cause. Um, and trauma can cause depression. If somebody goes through a horrible circumstance or abuse or, or whatever. And then there are what we call character, excuse me, character reasons for depression. This is character now, changes. Aaron and I talk a lot about character. This book, Integrity, talks about a personal character. A book, Raising Great Kids, talks about character. And character is your inner workings. And depending on your character issue, and everybody needs to be aware of their character issue or issues. It's really helpful to know your issues. If you don't think you have any character issues, talk to somebody that's honest around you. Like, I know. Because here are some of the character reasons that people get depressed. One of them is uh, emotional detachment. When a person has a, a, a basic trust issues and has a hard time opening up and letting people in and just kind of like they can only let people in at a certain level, that can cause a depression because you're not receiving the gasoline of life and your car gives out. And when your car gives out, you get depressed. Now, I'm making a point here. I want you to see that depression is not the problem, right? Depression is a symptom of another problem. So don't think, how do I solve my depression? Start thinking, what is it that's driving my depression? That's why I talked at the very beginning about God. What could my depression be saying to me? What could God be saying to me? So you get underneath the depression. What's really driving this? Because taking a happy pill won't do it, folks. Sorry, there's no medication good enough for that. Don't get lost in a symptom. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that a good tree creates good fruit, right? And a bad tree creates bad fruit. So, one of the bad fruits of emotional detachment and the inability to connect is depression. So in that way, depression serves as a signal that says, there's an issue here. You know, it's kind of like a little warning light saying, get connected because you're not getting this stuff, you're not getting the gas. Another character issue that causes depression is um, uh, lack of boundaries. What happens to your relationships in your life when you have no boundaries? Who's, who's in charge of your life? Are you in charge of your life when you don't have boundaries? No. Someone else is running your life because you're afraid of their anger, or you're afraid of letting people down, or you're a people pleaser, or you feel guilty, or you're just a mess. And so you live crisis to crisis and walk on eggshells and always worry more about somebody else's reactions than your own soul and your own life and your own responsibility. Is it really a stretch to think that can depress you? That's so depressing. Because God intended you to have a life of choices and focus and movement and decisions and get out there and, you know, reach the kingdom and advance the cause or make a lot of money or go start a street ministry or whatever you're doing. God created you to make a change. But when you don't have any boundaries, everybody's changing you. That can cause depression. Again, depression is not a problem. The lack of boundaries is a problem. Or, for some people, they have a problem 
with living life as a real person like they are right now in the here and now in what we call the existential moment. Like, they have a hard time accepting who they are today. That they would rather be somebody that they're not. They have perfectionistic ideals and they're really hard on themselves. And they're really like, you know, always shooting for goals and beating themselves up, you know, the classic perfectionist. Now, how many of you have some perfectionistic tendencies? Okay. Nobody here, I don't think. Interesting <laughs> question. Who wins? Your perfectionism or reality? Yeah. Has your perfectionism ever triumphed over reality? No. In fact, if it did, we would call you psychotic. <laughs> because reality is the only place you can live, and if your perfectionism wins, you're by definition a psychotic. So you don't want to be that. Reality always wins. And the perfectionism, the perfectionist hates reality. They hate being, you know, Listen. normal and a failure and not as pretty as they want to be and not as smart and not as successful and screwing up. They hate that. And you know what they do to solve that? A really great thing called self-condemnation wrath. It's a beautiful thing. They say really healthy things to themselves like, well, you didn't get the, the, the promotion, you loser. Now, I just feel kind of like Teletubbies inside when I see the things myself. Don't you feel more motivated, ready to take on the day, you loser? Your mom and dad were right about you. So was your ex. She was right about you. Well, that's a wonderful thing to say, you perfectionistic loser. But that is what perfectionists do to themselves. You know what it is? The perfectionist is stuck in a cycle of law and wrath. All they know is that when I fail, I better beat myself up, or maybe they'll slap me into you know, more performance. And when I fail, I better beat myself up some more. Maybe the slap will help. Hmm. Wow, wow right? Yeah, let's just touch what, what, what hit you uh, through that right now a second, <coughs> quickly. We're going to talk about loss in more detail this morning, but I want you to know, before I do that, I want to just tell you that the loss that we're talking about is normal loss. Uh, I, I, we want to talk this morning about how loss is a part of our everyday life since Genesis 3. Since the fall, loss is a part of our lives every single day. And if we don't understand it and learn how to respond to it, um, we have a whole lot more emotional problems. But before I go there, I just want to very briefly, another time I'll go, we'll go into more detail, but very briefly, I want to just talk a minute about this is not about catastrophic loss. Catastrophic loss is trauma. Trauma. And I know who I'm talking to in here. And I know that some of you have been through deep trauma. Some of you are going through trauma. And I just don't want in any way, want you to hear me belittle trauma in the way I'm going to talk about loss being everyday loss. That's not the everyday loss I'm talking about. I'm talking about trauma does damage. Um, and uh, it, it's, um, 
let me just, I just want to give you a little overview of, dra uh, of trauma before we go trauma and how a major loss as opposed to kind of the losses we're going to be really discussing today, okay? Um, <clears throat> a trauma is basically anything that has happened that overwhelms our ability to um, metabolize it. In other words, it is, it is, it, it's almost like you've got 10,000 um, gallons of water going through a pipe that's made for one, you know, 1,000 gallons. So a trauma is something that is so overloads the system that it's not able to be metabolized in, 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 the, in, in our lives, in us. Um, it can't get through the system. Um, uh, let's see, uh, what are a few things I want to tell you about it. Um, see, the thing is, th this is the equation. The equation is trauma, loss, resources. So the thing is this, why can some people go through the same trauma and have a totally different response to it than the person next to them? Answer is resources. You, can all, you need resources to be able to um, metabolize the trauma. And um, you can have a very big catastrophic trauma, or you can have a much, much smaller trauma, but without the resources to handle it, you can have the same response to somebody who had a catastrophic trauma. Does that make sense? Yes. The whole issue is there's no system, there's no resources for the person to metabolize it. And then a couple of uh, ways that you can experience real trauma is sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect actually, neglect actually, and developmental trauma. I don't have time to go through all of this now, but I just want to scan, scan this real quick because I want you to know, I don't want you to look at the, the rest of what we're talking about and feel like I'm minimizing in any way trauma. Um, I said trauma damages some <coughs> part of us. Um, that's the issue. It, and it's, it's going to, it's going to particularly, we were created to trust, to bond, and connect, because God's a lover, created in his image. Somewhere in trauma, that gets damaged. Your ability to trust, your ability to bond, your ability to connect with others. Another place where, you're, where you are um, damaged would be boundaries, um, where you end and somebody else begins. Trauma just messes that whole thing up. You don't know who you are, where you begin somebody ends. It's just, it brings a lot of confusion. Um, boundaries give us self-control. Um, one of the biggest problems, especially when there's sexual abuse, uh, great physical abuse, I'm sorry, all really emotional abuse, the victim believes it's their fault. Um, the inability to metabolize it um, often leaves them feeling like they're the ones <coughs> They're the one who's at fault. Um, uh, 
Um, I think Henry Adron put it this way, the trauma breaks the ability to trust, it screws up the sense of self-control because someone's treated us like an object or an extension of the other person because they don't have boundaries. Their boundaries have trespassed us in emotional abuse. Someone has control of their brains, their feelings, their heads. And um, uh, how are they going to feel equal to a powerful figure that's victimized them? the big problem really isn't not the abuse, and we're not minimizing that in any way, but the big problem is what happens to the person who's abused. Um, Ephesians 4, 16 illustrates how this stuff gets cured. It talks about growing up in Christ. And it says, as we do this, we grow the body. Uh, all the, it, that's the verse that says all the members um, um, were loving and working together and... Um, that's how we heal. So it says, as we grow in the body, all the uh, people are growing, we build, the body's building itself up in love, and each part does its work. And in this healing process, we have to learn how to grow up again now. Um, we grow up again, and we do these, we learn now the broken places which trauma has now damaged in us, our ability to bond, our ability to connect. Now we've got to grow up again and learn to do these developmental tasks now, we all do to some degree, but a trauma victim much, much more um, than, you know, it, it's, if it's catastrophic trauma, particularly. Um, now, there's all hope in Christ, and it does, and, and that's what we always want to underline here. Absolutely. Um, uh, the trauma victim so often believes um, they're all bad. And, and rather that um, uh, the fact that they were powerless, the trauma makes them feel like they're bad. And uh, so um, that's often the result of abuse, that kind of abuse, and that's one thing that God will be working um, to free them from. Um, so this is what I want you to remember with trauma, and we're going to leave this, we're going to leave this area. Um, what makes us able to metabolize pain? Now, what did I just say? I said, remember, what makes trauma is that you, the person has no way to metabolize what's happening to them. And actually what happens is that splits off. They split off because all of this pain goes into a separate area. It's like a tank sitting there. And then certain things will happen uh, that will trigger that that incident and that experience. Um, so, so remember that holiness and wholeness means integration. So what really has to happen is that has to come out of its split place and it has to come in and it has to be now integrated with the rest of that person. But remember, under these circumstances, um, they have more pain than they can contain and swallow. What makes us metabolize pain? We have to have enough support or grace or love. We have to have enough structure or truth or empathy to contain it. And then we have to have some sort of way to process it, to grieve it and to move past grief to life. Anytime you go through something painful, this is the formula. You need enough love, enough understanding to make sense of what what happened, and some place 
to kind of burp it out and you'll live through it. Um, what happens to an abuse victim or a trauma if they don't have the ability to metabolize things? Um, he's talking now about the 10,000 gallons of water going down a copper pipe that's only made for, you know, 1,000 gallons. Um, and um, that, that pain that gets segregated is sitting there waiting for something to happen. Um, it's waiting. Uh, um, uh, let me read this exactly as, as John wrote this. If the system isn't working and the experience is bigger than the ability to metabolize it, it goes into a parallel split off part of the self. It sits over there waiting for something to happen with it. So here we are until something reminds us of the previous pain and we have now lost all the ability to feel cared for, to understand it, and to get through it. And now we have this overwhelming thing called trauma. And how is it resolved? If this is the formula, my experience is bigger than my ability to metabolize it because my resources are overwhelmed and it left me a wreck and with damage to the image of God that knows how to trust, knows how to have self-control, forgive and grieve. Uh, the formula is always going to be you need support, you need understanding, and you need to be able to process this, um, this pain. Um, you need to find a, a, a safe place to do it and a safe people to do it. You need to learn, you need to get the understanding you need. <coughs> and part of that understanding will be to understand that it wasn't your fault. And um, the, the, the um, victim needs to understand I'm not bad, I was hurt. I wasn't bad, I was hurt. Um, so trading the bad position for the hurt position is important for the victim. Um, okay, I think I'm going to leave it there. But I say all that because, um, does it speak to anybody in here? Okay, okay. Uh, I just, it's important to, to talk about catastrophic loss because what I'm going to talk about now is not catastrophic. And I don't want anybody in here as I started out this morning saying, I know some of you are in the middle of dealing with trauma right now. Some of you come out of very traumatic situations. And I just want you to know that God is not uh, callous to it. The Bible is not callous to it. The Holy Spirit is not callous to it. And as the priesthood of the believer uh, in this church, we're looking to create a culture where we can talk about these things and actually have uh, <clears throat> a place to that safe place to be able to um, metabolize it. So remember, what's the equation? Trauma, resources. What are some of the resources you need? You need love, you need understanding, you need safe people. That's right. This is, and when this is not commensurate with this, even a smaller trauma, I, I finished saying, will leave the same results in, in a person because they didn't have enough resource. You know, I, I hate the devil so much more every day when I sit with people that, uh, when I experience with, you know, just from my vantage point, what the devil has done, but I've also seen such amazing things. And the fact that you're here and some of the rest of you in this room are here in your right minds and you're loving God and you're loving other people. And listen, that's just the beginning of the road of recovery. God is never leaving you in this road. You're going to come through and you're going to be a trophy for his amazing grace and love, but you're never going to do it alone. 
we all need each other. Yeah, thank God for Henry and John and the people that God has raised up to the body of Christ and breaking through a lot of the stupid theology that we've really, um, we need to get past. Yes. Okay. Um, I just want to re, I want to emphasize, re-emphasize a few of the things we said last week and I want to just, I want to go over quickly. I, I can't leave you like this. we got to talk about what God's answer is to depression. Or would you like to just go like this? Or should we just talk about the answer, right? Okay, let's talk about the answer. Remember, does anybody remember the first definition of depression that John gave us? Sorry? Frozenness. Frozenness of the soul is actually the best definition I, I've ever found for depression. Um, there's some inability uh, for whatever's going on inside to keep going. Some people say they feel dead, and what is more, frozen than dead. Everything is shut down. Depression means it, it, it's a shutting down, right? Um, you know, typically people say to a depressed person, our answer today in our culture is what to depression? Get over it. Get over it. Mm-hmm. Popping pills. Yeah. And, and sometimes they're needed. But the, the real answer in our culture today is keep busy. We, is that what the priest said? Yeah. Go home and clean your house. There you go. Thank you, Father. <laughs> I want you to know I have said similarly, I have said similarly stupid things to people, so I identify with that poor man. Uh, um, you wonder how people ever survive, pastors and ministers, I don't know, but um, remember we said last week, um, stress problems help with stress. <laughs> If you're stressed, you know, going away, go and take it. But if it's depression, um, depression is telling you something is broken. Um, and there's and there's all the material that I have ever read. Again, I'm not a professional. But all the things that I have read, and particularly I'm a student of Jeff, John and Henry's, um, really the underlying thing is almost always loss. Look for the losses in your life. When you're talking to somebody who's depressed, they're dealing with loss at, at, at different levels. And so it helps us. Isn't it helpful to just know that that's usually exactly what? That's why I wanted, I wanted to just make a differentiation between this and catastrophic trauma, right? So we're talking now about the general losses of life. After Genesis 3 and the fall, life is about loss. Every day we are dealing with loss. Now, that may be like, huh? I had a while to work with that when I first was introduced to that thought. But when you start to put your arms around it, let me tell you, the most mature emotional people, the most maturity you can get to emotionally in this life is learning how to deal with loss. It's, it's the, it's, to me, it is like, you know, the Israelites had it, the Hebrew women. They just had women that they learned, that actually learned how to do, you know, they would let, that, let the wailing, mourning women come out. And these were people that were trained in learning. Today, our culture says, don't show it, don't do it, move on. 
But God, so smart, he knew that we had to be able to um, uh, express it, process it, right? Um, and, and that is what so much of a problem is today in the world we're living in because we don't, and, and then I'll never forget after my dad died, now I was 27, no, I was 24 at the time, and again, he was a very um, huge figure in my life, and I remember it was, he wasn't dead more than maybe a few weeks, and I was sitting outside in my driveway with a, my dearest friend from high school and grew up together, and we were sitting there, and I remember saying something about him, and I'll, I just, I don't remember her words exactly, but it was more like, come on now, you know, you got to go on, pick up, and I, I just remember being stunned, but I got the message. People don't want to hear you, so you better keep that to yourself. And somewhere, I, I, I don't know how well I ever processed, you know, his death. Um, it wasn't until a long time later um, that I think I even began to. But here are some of the basic universal characteristics that most people with some depression have. Number one, loss of energy. They don't feel like they can get out of bed in the morning. You don't think that's my problem, do you? Um, they can't do the tasks that need to be done. I'm not judging you. Joe, you're okay, Joe. Number two, problems concentrating. They won't be able to stay on task or finish the project. Okay, stop I had no idea that I was teaching this letter for me. I'm so depressed. Um, they won't be able to focus. Oh my gosh, this is painful. Okay. Three, vegetative having to do with our body and our anatomy. A, sleep problems. Sleep too little or too much. What does depressed people do? Sleep too little or too much? You're wrong. Both, either or. You either don't sleep enough or you're sleeping too much. I don't want to say the word enough. You're either oversleeping more than you would need or less. So that B, Eating problems. Am I in the right group? <laughs> Am I in the right class? get up and leave. gets too tough. Exactly. Do they eat too little or too much? Both. If you want to lose weight, you eat too much. If you want to eat, if you want to gain weight, you eat too little. It always works that way, right? Uh, sex drive, we'll move over that. This is a mixed <laughs> here. Um, four, emotional swings or moodiness. People will say, I'm just not myself, I'm irritable. <laughs> this is really painful, guys, let me tell you. You know, it's the trouble with having a class living in church with my family. Is that sometimes I say things and I can feel their eyes on me. Like, oh, really, huh? Okay. Move on. A depressed person who is irritable doesn't look depressed, but when they're alone, they start berating themselves for not having handled situations and people better that day than they did. Or they will have tremendous highs and tremendous lows and not know where they came from. Do you remember John talking about um, berating ourselves, the perfectionist? How many, how, 
You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I'll raise mine, Ruthie, with you. That, what did you think about? What do you, what do you remember what he said? How many remember what he said? Do you remember what he said? Yes. And, re- and remember how it, how it takes it. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you just fill in the blank. Sorry? Not worthy enough. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so, so all of this, we feel like we're trying to make ourselves better or, you know, we're trying to improve. But when it comes from a spirit of perfectionism, so here we go again. The fall means you're not the person you want to be. You didn't hear me. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Fall means you're never going to be happy with it person you, you're not going to be in, if you're a perfectionistic thinking it'll never be enough we're born with this because we fell and we're not what we're supposed to we're not supposed to be this way so we're always trying to go back to the garden hey guys this is not the garden wow. God actually put angels to stop the at the entrance of the garden that garden is closed until Christ came and redeemed. Now he comes back and starts to transform us, right? He starts to undo the damage that was done, but he doesn't do poof. And most of Christianity is poof. It is not, it's like the children of Israel going into the promised land. They had to go in, and what did they have to do? Who did they have to face? They had to face giants. And most of us do not want to face giants. So we'll sit right on the shore and say, I'm saved. This is good enough for me. Rare is the saint that says, I'm facing that sucker. And I am scared to death. But God told me that I will have power to, 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 to uh, get my land and to get the promises he gave me. But listen to me. Every promise you get in the Bible, there's a battle over Nothing is automatic. And if you think it's automatic, you're going to have a problem with God. You're going to be mad at him all the time because you're just not going to understand why, how come this is, I'm not, I, I should have this. Why isn't this happening? Because there's a battle. It's not God keeping you out. No. Turn to somebody and say, it's not automatic. <laughs> and the fact that you're here is a good thing because you're doing something about you're doing something about your emotional redemption coming here and saying, this isn't automatic. You're not just going to poof. The damage that's been done uh, to all of us and all of us have had damage uh, is not going to just go away because I'm saved and my spirit is regenerated. Now I've got to claim my soul. I've got to get my mind back, my emotions back, and my will back. And it's got to come under the created order, under God, and that's what we're doing here. And we can come and hear all the sermons from now till doomsday. But if I'm not working this with God and other people, uh, then it's not automatic. Okay. Emotional four, emotional swings or moodiness. Oh, I said that. People say I'm irritable. A depressed person who's irritable doesn't look depressed. I said that. Okay, highs and lows. Okay, move on, Linda. You moved moved there already. Five, painful thinking. Anybody can identify with that? What are some painful thoughts you can think about? What, What would you say are some painful thoughts? Worrying about things you have no control over. Well, absolutely. Well, past experiences. 
That's yeah. right. Past hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guilt over the past. Oh, yeah. Um, suicidal thoughts. Um, loss. Um, you know, that's, that's interesting because when your person's depressed or, or they're battling with suicidal thoughts, you know, it doesn't mean that they can have everything around, they can have a great life and people think, well, what's the deal with them? I mean, everything's fine. What, what, why, why? Because something's broken again. And um, it, it's not a matter of, it, it isn't their circumstances. They can, and they can be, love can be all around them, but they're not able to let it in at that time. And, and so, you know, we always have to be careful we don't judge somebody in that situation and understand it's not just, okay, well, everything's fine. What's wrong with you? Why do you feel like this? Uh, you know, we're seeing it. And of course, we, those of us here know that we're in a spiritual warfare. And so whatever uh, we're dealing with and loss in our lives, the devil exacerbates it all. And we have spiritual, not only is it our own, us dealing with the stuff, but we have the devil who wants to jump in and he wants to exacerbate all the stuff that uh, we are dealing with, right? Okay. Um, well, the answer is, I'll tell you one thing. The answer is not what most Christians will tell us. Just start thinking, oh, listen, you're in Christ. Just start thinking positive things. Yeah. How many know? How many tried? Yeah. That's not many the answer. Many times. Many times. Now, I'm not saying you don't quote scripture to yourself, you don't tell yourself the truth. It's important to tell yourself the truth. But this is what normal is. Normal is Wow, that really sucked that I had, you know, that we got into that disagreement and I'm really kind of upset with her, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you know, gee, uh, gee, I was so ha- grateful that I had some time to be with the grandkids the other day. That was so much fun. It was so good to be there. Normal life is you go from, you deal with the bad, you deal with the good. God can handle, God is still, you know, he can be angry at bad at the same time that he's loving you and I. I mean, he doesn't, we don't split off in the normal. What's not, what, what, what a problem is, is when you're all good, everything's great, everything's wonderful, there's no problems in this world, you're in trouble. Uh, or everything is terrible. Everything, and that's stage three. Where do you get to stage three of changes that heal? That, that was revolutionary for me. Because this split off thing, perfectionism, idealization, uh, all good or all bad, you have no idea probably today how much it's affecting you. Uh, that that's a, that really took me off my feet. When I first read it, I was kind of like, what is this all about? I don't think this pertains to me. Every stage in Changes That Heal profoundly touched my life and changed my life, and I really started to get light about it in my own life. So remember, it's not just about thinking positive thoughts. Um, you know, a manic depression, is, it's not always thinking like, you know, you're going to get the cure for cancer. Um, you know, sometimes it's agitation, too. It can be, it's, I mean, it's, it's hell. I mean, and if anybody suffers from that, it's a very, very, um, it's, a, it's a very, very horrible thing. Uh, we want to see people freed from that. So, um, so all good or all bad, we want it, we want it painful thoughts either way. Um, whatever those thoughts may be, uh, a part of depression. Number six, isolation. The depressed person is going to experience some sort of isolation from relationship. Again, doesn't mean they don't have caring people around them, um, but something's broken side, and some ability, now listen to this, some ability to relate or to reach out or to connect or to invest or be vulnerable 
um, comfort those that have to receive the comfort uh, is broken. And um, so the depressed person is this is a big this is a big sentence unable to feel like they belong. Unable to feel like they belong. Um, they have an inability to take in love at that time. When you're when you're deeply depressed, that's why you know you get around. When when you're depressed, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to just you know what? I just have to step back from people. I mean, that's, it's all of us. You're not alone. You want to step back. I think I just need to step back from people and get by myself. And you're you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Well, our tendency to do it is exactly the opposite of what we should do. But you have to have safe people to go to. You don't go to just anybody. You go to somebody who's going to understand and listen and help you process whatever it is you need to be dealing with. Um, okay. Um, this is um, this is John's sentence. Depression has all sorts of avenues, and you can have several of these and be a depressed person. There are these are broad brush uh, brush strokes. If there's one thing that will describe where it comes from and what it's really about, is the one word loss. So I'm going to just keep underlining it. When you're talking to somebody who's depressed or you're suffering from depression, that's the thing. To look. What have you lost? Um, you may have lost your childhood through abuse of some sort. Uh, and there's all things to lose. Again, Jesus came to save, seek and save that which was lost. Not that which he couldn't find, but that which was damaged and broken. And that's what he came to that part of us that's broken and damaged. And he's come to bring um, his victory to that area. Um, you, know, I, you know, those of us that are up in years, that's a nice way to put it, uh, I mean, you find every day you're dealing with loss, you know? It's loss of uh, your youth, loss of the ability to, to deal with your, maybe your weight, you know, the hair is getting thinner. The, I mean, there isn't, you're losing, you know. Did you ever notice, I mean, I, I noticed even going out and, in, you know, when you're dealing, sometimes I'm with one of my kids, and I've noticed how other people will relate to them and kind of because you're older, did you ever feel like this? They kind of like put you in a, I, I'm like flabbergasted because I'm, I'm just flabbergasted because you don't feel old inside and yet you find that people start treating you differently. Is it just me? No. Right? No. And it, it really blows like your mind. they put you in the hole. Yeah, yeah. You kind of feel that way. You kind of feel that way. Kind of, I thought you had your hand raised. Right? That's the word, isn't it? <laughs> That's the word. I sat with Jen one day talking to her doctor. I went to, some years, a few years ago, I sat with her and the doctor, and I never forget it. I sat with her and we both two chairs. He was there behind the desk. He never greeted me, never said hello to me, never looked at me, and directed. I mean, of course, she was the patient. He should be. But listen, there's just plain social. I mean, he, I wasn't there to the man. I mean, he just treated me as I was though I was invisible. I walked out and I said, I don't like that doctor. Oh, I don't care how good a doctor he is. I was like, I mean, I just made sure she didn't go back to that doctor. Um, 
Okay, I'm going to read. I'm going to continue to read. There are lots of losses out there, and if that is the truth, then why are there some people that have had a lot of losses and either don't get depressed or they're able to resolve them, and some do get depressed and can't resolve them? If that loss is a constant, and it is, if you're not living in denial, you know loss is a constant. It is there every day. Why is some are depressed and some aren't? There are a lot of reasons, but mainly there is some sort of an inability to metabolize the loss. Can you see what kind of maturity emotionally it takes to be able to metabolize your loss? Again, it's the height of emotional maturity to me, uh, is to be able to metabolize the losses. You, and, and then they increase as you get older. They increase as you get older. So uh, that's the good news. Aren't you glad you came this morning? I, I promise I'm really going to get to better stuff. Well, I'm going to get... You may not like what I'm going to get to either, but it really is It is the door. Um, if the resources aren't there, the, dep- the depression is very severe. It's, it's uh, loss versus resources. Remember, that's your equation. Write it somewhere. Loss versus resources. When you're suffering a loss, you need to say, where are my resources? They have to be equivalent to your, to your loss. If your losses are great and your resources are few, you're going to experience depression. If your losses are normal and your resources are smaller, you're still going to have depression. Okay? Uh, I know I'm repeating some things, but honestly, I think it's okay if I do. And if you begin to do a history on someone who's depressed, you'll always find significant losses in these areas, usually in any of these areas. Number one, a loss in love. That's the need we're created for, to be loved. And codependence, I said earlier, many people skip the step of receiving, go quickly into the step of giving. Um, Basic trust comes from needing others. It's the need to be loved and not feel like you're alone, a need to be connected. When people have some breakdown in that part of them that needs to be attached, they will begin to experience some sort of injury. Um, some people, some people, depression is a normal way of life for them. They've lost the normal zest for life. They will have a chronic, undiagnosed depression that they never knew because they have figured this is the way life is. Remember me telling you last time? I woke up, I would wake up and say, yeah. say to somebody, you know, when you wake up with a cloud over your head and people would be like, huh? You know, a cloud over your head that you wake up with. And when I remember looking, to, you don't wake up with a cloud over your head every morning. I remember being floored because I guess I lived with some low-level depression and was thought it was life. I just thought it was normal. Um, law, number two, loss of freedom. Did you hear? Now, what do we need to, free, to be free to do? Live. I'm running over my time. I've got five, be ten minutes. Oh, I, okay, be ourselves. What else? Love. Sorry? Love. <coughs> Love. Love, absolutely. Free to grieve. Sorry? Free to grieve. We're going to get to that in two seconds. Mm-hmm. This is John's list. We need to be free to express feelings. Be myself, somebody said it. Make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Make sure you put that one down there. Yeah. Free to give and receive love. We already said it. Free to grow. Free to say no. You free to say no? 
freedom to play. We're created to have the freedom to say no to the good and the bad. Yes to the good and no to that which is not me. Freedom means being able to choose your consequences. Freedom means being able to choose your consequences. How you're going to spend your time, choose whom you want to spend your time with, how you'll be treated. We really can't control other people. We control what other people do to us and we can ch- who we choose to spend time with. You know, sometimes we have to bring our no to people and say, no, I don't ha- that's not a value I have in uh, relationships. And as long as you do that, um, that I'm going to have to step back from this relationship until I can understand that this is, this is not a value that I can, I have to say no to this. If there's any way that you're abused in a relationship, your freedom has to be uh, the freedom to say, this is not something I want to be part of in this relationship. That's not easy. When we get to number two, changes the hill, boundaries. That's what started me on this. When I picked up John and Henry's book on boundaries, I was already on the road, but boy, did boundaries. That book became an overnight bestseller. They were the first ones that I understand that came out with boundaries. And particularly, I'm not going to say not the men, but particularly codependent women, I think, that, you know, lose themselves and, you know, um, feeling like we're there for everybody else and losing ourselves in the, in the process, all right? Um, okay. Free to say they can never say I don't like that or they don't, I don't have the same values as you. Many people aren't free to say abuse doesn't happen to me. I don't do abuse. Um, uh, many people aren't free to say, no, I can't take care of your needs. You're going to have to find someone else to take care of that need. How many are free to do that? Mm, no. Three, loss of accepting reality. Okay. I don't mean going the kind of going crazy. It's the loss of the ability to accept reality. Um, now, what does that mean? It means um, I find people all the time, and you know, and I've seen it in myself. Um, why did that happen? And um, they'll spend decades protesting something that happened in your life. And um, the inability to accept the reality of what happened will leave you in that place of protest and anger. And, and you need to have anger about some things that happened to us. You, you do need it. But you don't want it to, be, you want to be able to work through it and not have it chronic, that you're not dealing with it. It's like some frozen piece of ice right here and it's not being melted and it's just there all the time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The the ability to accept, honestly, when we say, I can't believe that that person did that to me. Take it, I want to say it this way, taking into account the brokenness that we all have, the world we're in, the world, the flesh, and the devil, what we should say is, when something goes right, we should say, I can't believe that happened. I mean, we should not be shocked by things that happen to us, by I mean, it doesn't mean we like it, but hurts and things we need to kind of accept reality that we're in a broken world. When you keep, when you get shot, when people that get so shocked by it and just get so offended and they're just, I mean, you, it's just not accepting the reality that you have to learn to deal with it in this life. Mm-hmm. And as long as you don't, and as long as you keep protesting it, you're going to live in that frozen state. Make sense? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go real fast now because I've got to sum up in five minutes. Wow. Um, 
loss of hope. Depression always brings a loss of hope. There'll always be some sort of devaluation of love. Depressed people tend to push away relationships, not because they're mean or don't like people, but they push away people and withdrawal because they withdraw because to touch other people will get them into their sadness. And they're kind of afraid to touch a feeling. If I touch you, I'll touch a feeling I don't want to feel. So they de- we have to devalue it. Oh, he doesn't really mean it. He doesn't really love me that much. You have to devalue it because you don't want to receive your you're not open to receive it at that time. Doesn't make you mean, you just don't want to touch feelings. Okay, solutions. We're almost, we're almost out, almost done, solutions. I'm gonna give you the one word, solution for depression. Grief. Oh my God. Yay! You're like, seriously, is that what I've been waiting for? <laughs> It is what you've been waiting for. Grief is God's way of dealing with depression. The world gives you depression. God gives you grief. Now remember, it's the highest form of emotional maturity, really, is to be able to grieve things. And so I just want to touch a few things about grief. Every bad thing you feel toward losing people, health, love, you were never created to feel those things because you weren't supposed to experience loss. We were not made for loss. What's the first thing somebody says when they hear the bad news of somebody died, some terrible thing happened? What's the first thing they say? Sorry. Yep. No! That's the first thing people usually say when they hear because there is an immediate protest to loss, to because we weren't made. Guys, we need support because we weren't made to handle the losses that we're handling in this life. Does that relieve you a little bit to know that? We weren't made for it. It is difficult. You need support because by yourself, we weren't made to do, we weren't made to do it. Uh, but I'm going to show the difference between depression and grief. I'm just going to, real quick, we're going to just talk about and. Um, Depression is permanent. Grief is temporary. Depression, you will stay in depression for as long, forever, unless it's dealt with. Depression, there's movement in grief. There's no movement in depression. Depression is just absolutely no movement. There's just absolutely no life in it. Grieving is a process you go through to let go of things and to let go of the hurt and the pain so that you can come out and you're free to receive more good things. But I meet a lot of people that are stuck in the middle of that process. And they just need to do finish the work of grieving something. Because they're you're very it's very difficult to be in the middle of that process and not come all the way through. Um, Depression is isolated, grief is connected. Depression is, I'm going to my room, I can't talk to people, I'm not going to any meetings, I don't even want to talk to my, my wife. I'm, depression is, I want to be left alone. Grief is, I need to be with other people. I need to cry, I need to talk, I need to look into somebody's eyes and tell them how bad I feel. 
I need to feel the support of somebody. I need somebody else. I remember again, you remember me telling you over and over again, when I first was a young woman and I had my physical problems and stuff, and I, I had my persona that was a strong person. I thought strong was good, but I hid my weak parts. And when I got ill and I was so despondent and depressed and frightened, I would call Joe sometimes at work and just say, could you just talk to me for a minute? Can you, can you possibly get home for lunch today? And you know, sometimes he could, a lot of, sometimes he couldn't, but it was like so embarrassing to me in the beginning because I, I just, you know, I, I just thought strength was, well, this is, this is what I've degenerated to. I'm like this needy person telling him I need you. I'm just like falling apart. And it was the beginning of a real transformation in my life because finally, I didn't know it, but I was taking my needy parts to somebody finally that was a safe person and being, now I was married 10 years and being able to say, I need you, I can't do this alone. And it was very hard to do. Even with my own husband, it was hard to do. Anybody relate to this? And when I finally was able to do it to somebody that was safe and, and loved me and showed love to me, I started to be able to, everything changed. And I can't tell you, I'll tell you this, the church was born right after that experience. I always believed that God did a work between us two before the church was born, that we would never have survived what we were going to live through if we didn't have that experience together. And God had me open myself to Joe and need him in a way I wouldn't have been, I, I didn't do before, didn't, was afraid to do. Um, and as silly as it is, you know, I had a high school relationship with a, with a, um, a fellow for a couple of years. and. Uh, he broke up with me before I went away to college, I remember. And it was, it was really, you know, it was, it was kind of traumatic for me. Um, no, I don't want to say traumatic. It was a great loss for me at the time. He knows all about it. I know. I know you knew him, honey. I know you knew him. And then he came back. Then he came back. Then he came back. Uh, he came back from college and broke up with me again. And... Um, I say this to say, guys, the losses like this, uh, this really, uh, I know, affected my ability to open up to Joe when God brought Joe into my life. Come on, now the rest, nobody's ever experienced anything like that, right? You're all laughing. I'm laying myself out here, and you're all laughing, but you know what I mean, right? Right? I mean, a loss like that affected my ability to open up to Joe. I mean, dear God, I heard about this guy later. What a train wreck he was. Thank God, God brought Joe into my life. And I mean, that marriage would never have lasted, lasted if I ever married that guy. But um, uh, this one was always teetering anyway, but this marriage was always done. <laughs> but um, seriously, seriously, those kind of losses really affect us in ways we have no idea. We have no idea. So, um, okay. I don't care. I don't even care whether you, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm vulnerable, Lord. It's okay. I can do this. <laughs> depression withdraws. Grief needs. I just got finished explaining that. Uh, depression withdraws from people, pushes them away. Grief actively goes toward people. Um, depression is timeless. Timeless grief oscillates between the present and the past. You're really very much caught up in the past, in um, in, in uh, depression. Grief is about bringing it into the present and integrating it and metabolizing it with what your resources, your love, your support, and uh, bringing it out of just 
you know, the past. Um, okay. Okay, that's all what I need to say from my notes. So just let me finish up with this. Again, it is so important that you learn, let God give us deeper understanding of grieving, what the grieving process is. Every day. Instead of fighting and saying, you know, her life looks like this so great. Me, this, you know, on this is happening and that. Everybody is experiencing loss every day. It leads us to addictions, it leads us to food, it leads us to alcohol, it leads us to drugs. It leads us to every, because we don't know how, and at least if we understand to expect it. Does it help you at all to know you're not crazy? Yes. And that loss is going to be an everyday situation in your life? Yes. So let's not be shocked when we say, oh, you know, you lose a, a friendship, you lose a, uh, somebody moves away. It could be that simple. I'm starting to grieve a little bit my, my older grandchildren growing up and leaving and going away to school and thinking, oh, man, I did this the first time with my own kids. Now I'm going through this grieving. Of, I'm grieving the little kids they used to be. I miss the little, I don't see a big one, whatever. The little ones, I miss them when they were little. Does anybody really think? This is grieving we go through. And so we need to do it with God and we need to do it with one another. He is not grieving leaving his grandchildren. He is not grieving the fact that he's trying to get rid of his grandchildren. You know the deal. And listen, the one thing I want you to leave with today, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep two minutes to just underline this to you. Grieving is a process that is from God. It's a process to embrace Reality, what did John say? It's reality or perfectionism. Who's going to win? Reality is always going to win. So as long as you keep contesting reality and saying it shouldn't be, it should the most unhappy people I know are the people who can say it shouldn't and it shouldn't and it never and it shouldn't. And, and as long as you say that, you need a time to do it, but you better move through it. You need, to, you need resources to move through it. Life, listen, your marriage isn't what you ever wanted it to be. You're not who you want it to be. The people around you are not who you want them to be. The church isn't what you want it to be. Your life, you don't look the way you would like to look. Shall I keep going? Shall I, can I help you now? Do you feel really better? Are you feeling better? Jesus, <laughs> no, 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 it's enough. And what you don't realize is I've told you the most liberating things I can tell you. Because the person sitting next to you feels exactly the same way. But the devil tells you it's only you. That everybody else has the perfect marriage and the perfect spouse and the perfect kids and the perfect, perfect, perfect. There's nobody that has it perfectly. And when we can embrace our losses and say, I don't understand it, it hurts like hell. But I am going to bring it to other people, and I'm going to process with process with. You've got to be connected to God first, and with other people. And you need to cry. You need to. You need to even have your anger about it. God will be in that. You know, Larry Crabb. I mentioned Larry Crabb to you. You know, Larry Crabb says, "Should I say this before?" Okay, it's in the book, so I'm going to say it. Larry says we all have to process our hatred of God. Wow. Larry Crabb says we all have to process our hatred of God. I think it's true. I've never said that publicly before, but you know it's true, don't you? Yeah. We don't like the fact he's God and we're not. We don't always like 
We don't understand. And we can get, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been pretty outraged. I've been pretty raged at God a few times in my life. And do you know it's okay? Do you know it's okay? Do you know he only wants the real you? He's heard the song. He only wants the real you. It's only one. He's not looking at the other person. There, there is no other person. It's the real you he wants. Some of you may need to really close the door and have it out. And you may find the beginning of a whole new relationship with him. Now listen, I'm not, Lord, I'm not, I mean, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, you know. I'm not going to say anything. You're going to have candle, New York kids. I'm not going to be a rescuer and try to rescue anything. I, I'm just saying, but some of you need to really just tell God some of the stuff you're really carrying that you're afraid to tell him. He can handle it. He can handle it. The blood of Jesus is on that, is on that altar in heaven. And, you know, little kids see a little two-year-old say, I hate you, Mommy. I hate you, Mommy. You won't let me have my candy now. I hate you. You know, we're still little two-year-olds sometimes. And we're, you know, we're not processing. We need to process things we don't understand. But I'll tell you one thing. There'll be a day when the book will be open. This is what I tell Linda. And there'll be no more questions. You'll say, God, how did you know? That was the perfect whatever you did. Everything you did and allowed in my life is good for me. You, you did the best thing for me. When the book is open, there'll be no questions. Part of this life, there's two things you're going to fight for in this life. You're going to fight for faith in this life, and you're going to fight for love in this life. Faith and love are the battles. I want to end my course having fought the good fight of faith and having loved God and loved others, don't you? Am I leaving anybody on a, on a cliff right now? Sure. Am I leaving anybody? Everybody on a cliff? We're on the cliff again for Dorian's life. I Oh my God! I need to put my wrestling shirt on her. Listen, if you're really in a bad place, come see me up there. Did you just kind of see grieving a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Grieving means yeah. let go. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're passive and you just sit back and accept any kind of, oh, we're going to boundaries next. I don't mean you just sit back and let it. But I'm saying, I'm saying that the things in life that you're processing, where we're stuck, um, the things that we need to, you know, the, the losses that you can't change. Turn somebody and say, you can't change it. Let it go. Let it go, but I can't change it. You hear TV? You can't change it. By the grace of God, and with God, and my safe people, I can deal with it. Not only can I deal with it, I can come out. I, you get expanded in grief. You don't get expanded in depression. You get, let me tell you something. Last thing, I promise. I don't ever want to sit and open my heart to somebody who hasn't suffered. You? You know what grief does to you? First of all, it gives you values. I was just talking to somebody who's not in my church, and she doesn't know the Lord. She's a friend of her friends, a child of her friends, 
and she was waiting for her cancer report back. She had a biopsy. And I, you know, I just want to say, Lord, oh, you know, let her, you know, just I hope it's all benign. And then I stopped for a minute and I said, well, of course, I, I prayed benign. But my thought was, this is good for her. Because you know what suffering does for us? It helps us to get down to our values. You know, in suffering, you ask yourself questions you'll never ask yourself when you're not suffering. What do I believe about life anyway? What do I believe about God anyway? You ask yourself questions in suffering you'll never ask. That's why some of the people that have suffered the most, some of God's greatest servants have suffered more than Paul. Yeah, go listen, look, read his life story. How would you like to be him? No thanks. Do you go through the Bible and see how many of the people that wrote the books were prisoners? The Old Testament is probably all, probably everybody was in prison, probably, whether it was Ezekiel and Daniel. Or, they're, they're all prisoners. Joseph, I mean, yeah. I mean, they go into the New Testament. I mean, John and Patmos and, and Paul spent most of the letters came out of prisons. I mean, like, so what prison are you in today that God has allowed you to be? But they all started their letters with this. I, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in a prison, he's allowed that prison. And you know what? Sometimes out of death in you comes life in others. And so some of the people that have suffered the most are the greatest gifts to the body of Christ because in grief, you get in, your soul gets enlarged. And as I said, grief is the highest state of emotional health you can be when you're, you've got enough reality in God and enough of, us, of your support system that you can, you can embrace the loss and metabolize it and, uh, and stop protesting. Amen. So Lord, we're, we're just too small for all this stuff. I mean, but Lord, it just amazes us when we get little glimpses of how much you have made provision for us in so many ways that we just don't, our eyes have just haven't been open to it. I pray for every man and woman and sister and brother sitting here today. Oh God, I pray that there'll be a breakthrough of revelation in every life. And Lord, that particular prison that they feel that they're in, may they, may they look up and see you in that prison with them. That you've never left them in that prison. They're not alone in that prison. And you have, the door is open to that prison. That prison door is open. And that there is light outside darkness and, and all that they're going through, Lord, is you wanting to bring them out of that out of that cell and to bring them into a bigger place, a, a place full of light and freedom. You are, you are, in comes the advocate. You have walked into that prison cell, my advocate, and the advocate of every child of God. So we open our arms to you this morning, Lord. Father, I pray for your blessing on every word that's been spoken this morning, that you'll rebind the devil off of every word that's been spoken this morning. Uh, Father, we ask you to keep him from using anything, Father, that's been said this morning, but I'm asking you to take what you've been said in him and, and bring forth fruit, bring forth fruit to your glory, Lord. Do it in your blessed name. Amen. 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 Thank you, saints.